Fans First Sports Network listeners, welcome to episode four of The Call Sheet. I'm your host, Kevin Smith. You can follow me on Twitter at KTSmithFFSN. I am a contributor to the NFL platform here at Fans First, also to the Steel Curtain Network, and I'm also the head football coach at Ocean City High School in lovely Ocean City, New Jersey, beautiful little beach town along the southern New Jersey shore. And I'm happy to have the opportunity to talk about the great sport of football with all of you. So today on the show, what are we discussing? Well, the obvious topic is the NFL draft, which kicks off just hours from now. We'll be talking some interesting draft topics, specifically uh, the number 13 and its relevance to the NFL draft. Uh, that's a that's a topic that has some interest for the Green Bay Packers, who not surprisingly will be involved in our other topic, which is the blockbuster deal completed on Monday that sent Aaron Rodgers to the New York Jets. Uh, and we will talk about that trade with a special guest, FFSN's Dan Burnham, who covers the Jets on the This Is The Jet Life platform. So, okay, to begin our first and 10 segment. Let's talk about the value of lucky number 13. You heard that, right? Lucky number 13. Uh, or in other words, the most valuable draft slot in the entire NFL draft. 13 has a stigmatism as being an unlucky number, but when it applies to round one of the draft, it's extremely lucky. And I said that it's the most valuable draft slot in the entire NFL draft. That may sound like hyperbole because everyone assumes the most valuable pick is number one. But hear me out on this. In, in what may be the most interesting anomaly in recent history, in the recent history of the NFL draft, the draft slot that's garnered the most value in terms of players selected there over the past decade has been not the first overall pick or the second or any of the picks in the top 10. It's been pick number 13. 13, right? So, you know, when it comes to the draft, at least over the past decade, 13 has been extremely valuable. How valuable? Over the past 10 years, the 13th pick has yielded 10 consistent starters, 10 out of 10. Every single person, every single player picked at number 13 has gone on to become a starter for the team who picked that player. There hasn't been one bust out of the bunch, but it gets better. Eight out of those players, eight out of the 10 have become Pro Bowl selections. That's 80%. 80% of the players drafted with pick number 13 have become Pro Bowl players over the past 10 years. If you keep going, four of those players have been named first team all pro selections. Two of them have won Super Bowls, and at least one of them is a surefire Hall of Famer. All right, here's the kicker. The thing that makes it really incredible all of those players, with one caveat, have been linemen. So if you want a quality NFL lineman in the draft, there is no better place to find one than at pick number 13. So to give you a better idea of the type of value I'm referring to, let's take a look at the number 13 picks over the past decade. If we go back to 2013, we, we find Sheldon Richardson, the defensive tackle from Missouri, taken by the New York Jets who immediately becomes Rookie of the Year and is, is selected to the Pro Bowl. Richardson had a dominant rookie season, played four really good years in, in New York before moving on. Injuries kind of derailed his career a bit after that, but he ended up playing nine very productive years in the 
NFL boarding out of football last year. Uh, Richardson is best remembered as a, an excellent interior run stopper. He was kind of the prototypical modern three technique, big, strong, physical. The next year in 2014, we got somebody who is not the prototypical three tech, but has become without question, the best interior defender in the NFL. And that is Aaron Donald taken by the Rams out of the university of Pittsburgh at pick number 13 in 2014, where he went on to become Super Bowl champion, defensive MVP of the league, future Hall of Famer. There's no uh, argument about Aaron Donald's value and what an incredible pick he was at number 13 for the Rams. In 2015, we move over onto the offensive side of the ball where the New Orleans Saints select out of Stanford offensive lineman Andrus Pete, who now eight years later, remains in New Orleans where he started 95 games over those eight years. He's been a three-time pro bowler. Slowed down a little bit in the last couple of years because of some injuries, but Pete has been a highly productive player for a long time. The next year, 2016, Laramie Tunsil, the offensive tackle from Ole Miss, falls to number 13. Many people thought that he would be the top overall pick, but then we get that completely weird photo of him hitting a gas mask bong that dropped. I can't remember if it was actually on draft day or the day before, but literally like right before the draft and caused some teams to actually take him off their draft board. That photograph was so eerie and weird. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of for fans uh, of true detective, which I will argue that season one of true detective was the best single season of television ever created. Uh, and we can, you know, we, we're not going to get into the weeds on True Detective because season two and three were maybe less so. And but season four looks really interesting with Jodie Foster set in Alaska. But anyway, remember, for those those of you who remember season one, there was that eerie scene at the end of I think it was episode four of uh, of the dude coming out of the trailer wearing the gas mask, kind of walking in slow motion and carrying a machete. Creepy scene. And when I saw the Laramie Tunsil photo those two things kind of overlap in my mind anyway Tunsil fell to the Dolphins at, at pick number 13 uh, eventually a couple years later would sign with Houston and in this off off season he just became the highest paid offensive lineman in the league signing a three-year 75 million dollar extension he's been a three-time pro bowler he's arguably one of the best left tackles in the game clearly Huge value in the Laramie Tunsil pick. 2017 gives us our caveat. In 2017, the Arizona Cardinals select edge rusher Hassan Reddick out of Temple. He is the only one who is not an interior lineman on either side of the ball. But as an edge rusher, he does most of his work at the line of scrimmage. He is a guy who plays on the line for the most part. Um, Reddick, six years in the league. 40 sacks over the last three seasons, including 16 last year in Philadelphia when he made the Pro Bowl and helped the Eagles reach the Super Bowl. Special shout out to Hassan Reddick, product of Haddon Heights, New Jersey, South Jersey guy. I like to recognize the many uh, South Jersey guys who are in the NFL. It's a hotbed of football here in South Jersey, even if it's not well known. Shout out to Hassan Reddick product of South Jersey, and another excellent pick in the 13 spot. In 2018, 
We get Deron Payne, the defensive tackle from Alabama, going to the Redskins, who has been a, well, then Redskins, now the Washington Commanders, who has been a starter in all five seasons in Washington. Uh, Deron Payne, one of the best run stoppers in the NFL, coming off a Pro Bowl season in 2022. And he just resigned in Washington for $90 million over the past over the next four years. Again, great value at number 13. In 2019, we get arguably the worst or the least productive, I should say. I'm, I'm doing him a disservice by saying the worst. We arguably get the, the least productive of the 10 picks I'm profiling here from the number 13 spot. And that's Christian Wilkins, the defensive tackle out of Clemson, who goes to the Dolphins. And when I say the least productive, by no means is this guy a bust. Christian Wilkins has started 60 of the 64 games with the Dolphins that he's been in the NFL. He has not been a star, but he's been a very effective starter. He was really effective when Brian Flores was in Miami because Flores really knew how to use Wilkins' athleticism and get, and get the most out of his ability to move on the interior. But he remains a solid starter for the Dolphins and, and all things considered was solid value at pick number 13. In 2020, we returned to the Pro Bowl, guys, where when uh, Tampa Bay selects Tristan Wirfs, the offensive lineman out of Iowa, uh, he has started every year on the offense, every game, I should say, on the offensive line of his career for the Bucks. been selected to the Pro Bowl, been named a first-team All-Pro, won a Super Bowl. I mean, he's done just about everything you can do, and he's only three years into the league. In 2021, we get an equally impressive offensive lineman chosen by the Los Angeles Chargers with pick number 13, Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern, the 2021 Rookie uh, of the Year on the offensive side of the ball, a first-team All-Pro, a Pro Bowler, uh, injured last year. Last year, he only played a few games, uh, but he's expected to return to health and will most likely return to Pro Bowl form. And then last year, the tenth of these picks, Jordan Davis, the mammoth, six foot seven, three hundred and fifty pound defensive lineman out of Georgia, chosen by the Eagles, who only played five years because of a rookie season that was disrupted by injury. But man, when he was on the field, he was a force, six seven, three fifty, and can move. It looks like Jordan Davis will be a dominant player on the defensive line in Philadelphia. So there you go, Ten, the last 10 picks, 10 incredibly productive guys, eight pro bowlers, many all pro players. There has not been a draft slot in the entire draft that has produced that type of value. Not the number one pick overall, which has had good players, of course, but also its share of disappointments. When you think about the number one overall pick, you think of guys like Eric Fisher and Baker Mayfield and Jameis Winston, Jared Goff. They've all been the number one overall pick over the last 10 years. And I would argue that you got less value out of those guys than you did out of the collective group at number 13. Uh, the number two overall pick is, has, has, has been more disappointing, where guys like Carson Wentz, Marcus Mariota, Mitchell Trubisky, Zach Wilson – you know, again, there's just there there are some misses in the, that number two spot for what you would expect out of number two, and you can go down the list and go through all those picks until you get to number thirteen, and then what what do you get? You get lucky number thirteen. So, who has the number thirteen pick in this year's draft? It's the Green Bay Packers. Why do they have the thirteenth pick? 
Oh, because of a little trade that went down this week involving the Packers, the Jets, and Mr. Aaron Rodgers. Green Bay, which originally had the 15th pick, acquired New York's pick at number 13, along with a bunch of other stuff in exchange for Rodgers. The Packers are in need of line help on both sides of the ball, and they are now in that sweet spot, that number 13, for drafting quality linemen. They got a shot there at Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones, Peter Skronsky. Any of those guys could still be on the board when they pick at 13. They, they could use an edge rusher, too, where a guy like Miles Murphy could be the pick. So it seems almost certain that if Green Bay wants a quality lineman at number 13, they're going to be able to find one. It is the blessing not the curse, but the blessing of pick number 13. Okay, we're going to take a break. On the other side, we will discuss the Aaron Rodgers trade uh, from the Jets' perspective. And we're going to do that with a special guest, fans first, Dan Burnham of This Is The Jet Life. He's going to join me. He is a lifelong Jets fan, and we'll find out if he is a suffering Jets fan, long-suffering, is my college roommate, shout out Wayne Mazzoni, used to say all the time that if you are a Jets fan that, that you know suffering, uh, or it has this trade really kind of, is it going to change Dan's perspective and, and maybe even turn him into something that uh, no Jets fan has been able to say in, in over 50 years, a Super Bowl champ. So come on back after the break. Hey, welcome back to the call sheet. I'm your host, Kevin Smith. Uh, in the last segment, we were talking about the, the lucky number 13 and the relevance of the number 13 to the first round of the draft. Before we continue and get into part two, let me make a quick correction. In that last segment, uh, I stated that Rashawn Slater had been the rookie of the year in 2021. He was not the rookie of the year. He was on the all-rookie team. Rookie of the year that year went to Jamar Chase Slater still, however, a tremendous player and uh, one of those one of those rare individuals uh, who to be picked at, at number thirteen for whom it worked out and has worked out fabulously for the last ten picks at that number thirteen spot. Pretty amazing. All right, in this segment we are going to talk about the Aaron Rodgers trade, and I'm going to be joined by a guest. This is going to be Dan Burnham of FFSN's This Is the Jet Life. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Yeah, right on. Uh, Dan, you are a Connecticut native, right? Podcaster. Uh, you, you, you're doing your podcast for uh, the Jet Life platform. Uh, let me ask you this to start off. How'd you become a Jet fan? And uh, give, us, give us the story, the background there. Yeah, so I'm a second generation Jet fan. My dad's been a Jet fan for, he became a Jet fan right after the Jets won the Super Bowl. So he didn't get to enjoy that one. But then he was a diehard Jets fan. I was told when I was like four years old, I wanted to be a Cowboys fan, I thought. And he said, uh, you're a Jets fan or you move out. So I said, all right, I'll be a Jets fan. And then <laughs> that's a, uh, yeah. That's 31. solid parenting right there. He steered you away from the Cowboys. Yeah, he I'm did glad you he solid. did. Yeah. I, I let my kids pick their, their teams. And uh, w they both picked uh, obscure NFC teams. My, my oldest son picked the Carolina Panthers. 
And my youngest son picked the Detroit Lions and they both picked it for the same reason because they thought they had a cool cat on their helmet. So <laughs> I don't know how this is going to go, but uh, but those, those those two teams, the the Panthers and the Lions, they've got a, a history of, uh, for lack of a better term, a little bit of suffering in, in their in their past, as do the Jets. So how do you characterize yourself as a Jets fan? Are you long suffering or is it just something that you're just you're just happy to be? rooting for a team and having a team of your own. What's your, what's your attitude as far as that goes? I'm happy to root for them. I am not, I don't consider myself long suffering. I mean, I became like a knowledgeable fan, probably like not knowledgeable, eight or nine years old is when I really got into it. So I was watching Keyshawn Johnson, Wayne Corbett, Vinny Testaverde, Curtis Martin, and the team was making playoffs basically every three years up until 2010. So it's been a little bit of a drought for the last 10 years or so. But I think before that, you know, Chad Pennington had nice, healthy teams. Mark Sanchez had a nice run. It feels like the Jets have been relevant for most of my rooting. It's just this last couple experiments with quarterbacks hasn't gone so well. So now we're in a bit of a drought, hopefully coming out of that now. Right. So quarterbacks, that's a that's a perfect segue. So so the Aaron Rodgers trade that it's been in the works for a while. Uh, It was finalized on Monday. The compensation is has been debated as to whether or not it's too much. But before we get into the details of that, just give me your general reaction. What's your what's your gut feeling about the trade? I think it was good. I think that the Jets had to get a quarterback, obviously, to replace Zach Wilson. I don't like the rookie class this year. Didn't like him drafting at 13 either. Didn't really make sense. I like the class next year a lot more. So the question was whether or not they were going to go with a bridge quarterback, like a Ryan Tannehill or something, if they were going to go with a longer-term investment in – what I consider mediocrity in Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo, or if they were going to swing for the fences and try to pull a Lamar Jackson or Aaron Rodgers. And since day one, Aaron Rodgers was my number one guy. If we could get him, that would be a dream come true, right? It's one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen play. Yeah, he's special for sure. He remains an elite quarterback. Uh, I'm a Steelers fan. I still have a little bit of full SD thinking back to 35 and Aaron Rodgers carving up the Steelers in that one. It's interesting. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is a different kind of dude, though. He's he's cerebral and he's aloof at times. And uh, he's been known every once in a while to, I don't want to say throw his teammates under the bus, but he doesn't hold back on his thoughts or, or his feelings. And it'll be really interesting to see how, how New York fans receive him. I'm sure at first he's going to be a rock star in New York. And then we'll see. Um yeah, I'm from New Jersey. I, I I live reasonably close to Philadelphia. Philadelphia and New York, those can be tough places to play. The fans are demanding. I, I think about Zach Wilson, who you mentioned, who was kind of a small-town kid from Utah and a, a Mormon who had gone to BYU and had really never left the state. And and while he was talented, I remember when, they, when the Jets drafted him, my first thought was, man, hmm, I wonder how he's going to handle New York and the culture. How do you think uh, Rodgers will fit in? He's certainly a strong personality, but is it a personality that fits New York City and uh, and and sort of the personality of that area? Yeah, I think it does. I think that a lot of these kids have been gobbled up because they don't have the confidence yet because they don't have the success yet. They don't truly understand defenses, pre-snap reads, all that stuff. They're kind of learning on the fly or changing coaches all the time. So these guys have been gobbled up. Talk about a guy like Aaron Rodgers. I think he wants to come to New York. I think that that's part of the appeal to him. And he's been in Wisconsin. Green Bay is a really small market, right? Their number of media guys that they have and tabloids and newspapers writing about the team is probably a tenth of what the Jets have in New York. But when you talk about Aaron Rodgers, he's a guy that kind of embraces the noise, even though it doesn't necessarily follow him to Green Bay in those media rooms. He's gotten it through 
four MVPs, winning Super Bowls. It's obviously going to come being one of the best quarterbacks we've seen. But then also just like embracing being on Jeopardy or saying, I'm going to announce my intentions to play for the Jets on the Pat McAfee show live to hundreds of thousands of viewers. He's not shying away from it. He knows it's going to be met with backlash. And even though he's got kind of a big ego and doesn't like negativity about him, I think he's in a very self-assured, confident place at this point in his career where it's like he knows what he's got, he knows where he's going, and he's going to try to play with some really awesome players around him, put something special together, and yeah, the media's going to be there. He's ready for it. He's going to have his his headlines for sure. Some of the guys are probably going to make enemies with him, but uh, you know he'll he'll navigate it the way he always does. It's going to be nothing new for him to be center of attention. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that he's at the moment now where New York City is a logical next step for him. Um, I think that you know every once in a while you get this really interesting marriage of a fan base and a personality coming together at the right time. And if Aaron Rodgers is coming to the Jets, this is the right time. The Jets are positioned, I think, to make a, a pretty darn good run at it. I mean, they they were a top 10 defense in most meaningful metrics last year. They were a bottom third offense in most meaningful metrics, but that uh, doesn't speak to the talent that, that exists in New York. Uh, young skill players, good run game. You mentioned, as you and I were talking before the show, the uh, addition of Nathaniel Hackett as the, the offensive coordinator. Talk a little bit about ha- uh, his relationship with, with Aaron Rodgers and how you think that will work. Yeah, so I think it's going to be a really nice, seamless transition, which, you know, we're getting Aaron Rodgers at this age, potentially one year, maybe two, if we're lucky. I mean, I'm praying for three, but I'd be happy with two. And we know it could be one. So when you're coming in there and you're trying to hit the ground running, I think having sort of a seamless transition in the offense is important. And Nathaniel Hackett, having worked with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay for a while, actually the last two seasons, he was the offensive coordinator for Rodgers. Rodgers won the MVP. He leaves, goes to uh, be the head coach of the Broncos. Doesn't have a lot of success there. I don't think he was cut out to be a head coach. But you talk about offensive coordinator and what he did with that offense. Like, in my opinion, when you look at the Packers and when Hackett was there, I think he was leaving and we were feeling like Alan Lazard was taking a step up and some of these guys, Robert Tanya, they were all going to have big, important roles in the offense, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon. And then when Nathaniel Hackett left, it felt like the Packers kind of sputtered a little bit. And I think that's a big reason why. And now to uh, pair them back up in New York, I think is going to be good for Aaron Rodgers, good for Nathaniel Hackett, good for the young guys who are trying to figure out, you know, how Aaron Rodgers likes to receive the ball, what kind of routes he likes to throw to. And they also brought in Aaron Rodgers' backup or, you know, third-string guy Tim Boyle. The Jets have him right now. So I don't think he's going to stick to the final roster, but he's going to be there in training camps to help install that offense as well with the players, talk about what Aaron Rodgers likes, make this thing work, and try to hit the ground running week one. You know, 17 games every single week is important. We don't really have the luxury of waiting until week four, five, six to figure it out. Kind of want to be – off to a hot start. And I think this is going to help us get there. Right. It's interesting. I liked, I liked that green Bay offense a lot when Hackett was there uh, with Matt LaFleur, they, they seem to, I I guess in coaching circles, the, the, the hot term is, is they layered the offense, which essentially just means that they built upon core plays. So if you had an inside zone run as your, as your core run play, what did you build off of it? Maybe you added some jet motion and, and ran a jet sweep off it to stress defenses on the perimeter. Maybe you added a play action uh, to, 
to uh, take advantage of the middle of the field. If the linebackers got too aggressive, maybe he ran a reverse as a constraint play, whatever it might, it might be. But I thought that that Packers offense did a really nice job of building off of their core plays. And Rodgers is the guy, a kind of guy where if, if he senses that a defense is overcompensating in any way, shape or form, then the constraint play he, he will kill you with. And so for the Jets to add a little bit more diversity to an offense that let's let's face it uh, with with uh, Zach Wilson last year is kind of in the learning process, wasn't very creative, will be a huge leap forward for this offense. Yeah, just think about how long it's been since the Jets had a signal caller back there that could make those pre-snap reads and find those mismatches and stuff and, and actually exploit a defense rather than just trying to figure out what play we're calling, hand it off, try not to see ghosts or or be scrambled. I mean, Mark Sanchez, Geno Smith, Zach Wilson, Sam Darnold. We had a couple nice years, I guess, of Josh McCown and Ryan Fitzpatrick. But when you compare that to what Aaron Rodgers brings, even if he's 70% what he once was, just that cerebral veteran wisdom back there. I mean, we haven't seen comfort from the quarterback in so long, and it's going to be awesome to see the weapons that we have. I mean, you mentioned it. And I think when you compare the Packers to the Jets, I think that the Jets have a far superior weapon cast around them. I think it's going to be one of the best offenses Aaron Rodgers has ever played with. They do have a lot of young talent. That that see ghosts quote that you just referenced is to me one of the most telling quotes about quarterback play. And when you really think about what that means and you know what 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 that was Sam Darnold, right? Talking about that. Yeah. Was that Sam Darnold? Yeah. And uh and really what he's saying is is that I I'm anticipating things that aren't there. I'm, I'm there's, there are things it, it's all just happening too fast for me right now. Really? That's really what he's saying. And, and, and whether, and maybe that's coverage disguise or maybe that's blitz packages, or maybe that's just the defense is moving at a speed that, that he's not used to. And he's trying to anticipate what they're doing and he can't do it. And that is so limiting for an offense. And so now you, you, you leap to the other end of that spectrum, which is a guy who's seen everything for who the game moves so slowly because he's such a master of diagnosing defenses, anticipating what they're going to do. And then at improvising, when you think about, about that skill, I think one of the most underrated skills that Aaron Rodgers possesses is his ability to just sort of make things happen within the flow of a play. And that's stuff that defenses can't plan for. When you talk to defensive coordinators about nightmare scenarios, one of the biggest ones is when a play breaks down and a quarterback uh, has the ability to improvise because you can't, you can't structure that. Defenses, defense coordinators like for things to be structured. They want to know what to expect. And Aaron Rodgers creates that element of you're not going to know, and then he's going to have the advantage. So Jets haven't been in that position in a long time, uh, and this will, I think, make their offense uh, really difficult to defend. So, all right, let me ask you this question. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about the compensation. Mm-hmm. Um, swapping first-round picks, potentially giving up next year's first. There's probably some other things in there that I'm. You'll, you'll know the details on a little bit better than I do. What do you think about the compensation? Too much, just right? Where's that fall? I think it ends up being just right. I think that when we all started beginning the pipe dream of Aaron Rodgers, you know, back in maybe February or, or January, even, I think that you were probably expecting more. The initial thoughts were like, it's going to take multiple first round picks. You're pulling a guy like Aaron Rodgers. We've seen what a Matt Stafford has gotten, a, a Sam Darnold, you know, far less talent there and, and things that they've gotten. Jamal Adams got two first round picks. You're thinking to add a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers is going to take a lot. As time goes on, we realize that the Packers actually have no intention of playing Aaron Rodgers this year. Looks like they'd rather cut ties, but they got that big contract. And then it starts becoming, if the Jets are the only suitor, can we get away with giving them almost nothing? Pennies on the dollar. I think that when it all comes out here, um, 
it ended up being a fair trade for both teams. I think the Jets gave up a little bit more than we probably wanted. I think the Packers are getting a little bit less than they initially wanted, probably more than they wanted in the past couple weeks when they were worrying what, what was going to happen here. But we swapped those first round picks. We basically swapped a fifth and a sixth round pick this year. We give up our second round pick, of which we had two. So we give up one of those picks, number 42. And then that conditional pick next year. So we still have a second round pick and our first round pick this year. And when you look at it, after this draft is all said and done, and they go to war with a really talented roster, it looks like, you're going to be looking at this season feeling really good about what we have, and then giving up one second or first round pick next year. And that's it. Probably getting some compensatory picks next year. Going to have at least that first or second next year, whatever it is. They're going to have a lot of ammo still, and it's not going to be really crippling to them, I don't think. So to bring Aaron Rodgers in and to bring this roster from really freaking talented without any sort of quarterback play to this level of really talented and this quarterback plugged in there, I feel great about it. Um, and I think that it's going to be uh, it's going to be one hell of a season. Yeah, I, I was actually a little bit surprised that they didn't give up more either. I, I thought that it was fair. And I think your characterization is really good that maybe the Jets gave up a little bit more than they wanted, but but maybe Green Bay got a little less than they were anticipating. Um, and that that generally makes for a fair trade. If everybody if everybody feels that they got slated a little bit, that usually means it's a fair trade. Um, yeah. And I'll also say that Joe Douglas is getting a name, at least around Jets people, of uh, being a fleece king, of getting away with with murder in the trade and giving Sam Darnold up and getting way too much for him and Jamal Adams and, and fleece and teams. So I think at a certain level, you do want to do that time and time again, but you also want to maintain some sort of reputation within the league among the other GMs and owners and stuff that you're capable of doing fair trades and not always just looking to get people. Cause I think there's a lot of kind of like inner networking between these guys and, and how they do trade. So I think it is important to do a fair trade for both sides in a situation like this with a player of Aaron Rodgers caliber who deserves, you know, a fair trade. Right. For sure. All right. So listen, I'm going to get you out of here with, with this question. I, when I, when I look at the jet as a, as somebody who doesn't have an emotional investment in them, I'm always much better trying to forecast uh, how, how teams will fare when I don't have an emotional investment. If I, if I had been gambling on the Steelers my entire life, I would be broken homeless. So, um, so I look at, I step back and I look at the jets and you, and I see a dynamic young head coach, uh, who has crafted already a top 10 defense in the NFL. I see an offensive coordinator who is now matched up with, with a generational quarterback with whom he has an excellent relationship and they know each other very well. And, will probably be able to uh, pick up to a degree where they left off in Green Bay, which certainly was in a good spot. I see a roster loaded with young talent. Seems like the outlook for the Jets is pretty darn good. So finish this sentence for me. Ready? The Jets will finish the 2023 season by what? Blank. <laughs> if you want just a quick answer, I, I say they lose the divisional round or AFC championship game. And I don't think it's any – lack of talent. I don't think it's Aaron Rodgers not being good enough. I think that when you look at this whole thing, we've pieced together a really good team, a competitive team that has a decent percentage chance of winning a Super Bowl, better than the Jets have had in a very, very long time, maybe the best they've ever had going into a season. But there's a lot of teams that are in situations like that, that are feeling really good about this season. And every year, one team comes out on top and it's a, a bad ball, you know, something dropped, a fumble, bad penalty, injuries, whatever may happen, a bad week, weather, so many different things come up in an NFL season that to set the expectation as it's got to be a Super Bowl or bust to me is is ridiculous. I think they're going to be a double-digit win team. They're going to win a playoff game, I think. But 
the grand scheme of things, the fact that they're just getting themselves lined up to be in that situation, then you just put your best foot forward, do the best you can, and, and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a loaded AFC. Yeah. In the East, you obviously have the Bills. Miami's a team that's been on the rise in the central or in the north, the central. I'm dating myself. In the north, you have the you know, the Steelers are, are going to get better, but you know, Cincinnati's clearly classed that division. You got Kansas City. I mean, it's a it's a really hard slog to get through the AFC. So yeah, if the Jets make it to the championship game, I think that that's a, a heck of a season. And I think it's an incentive for for Rodgers to, to come back. So uh I, I think he'll be there more than a year, unless unless you know it all kind of falls apart, which I, I really don't foresee happening. Uh, I think he's there with the right head coach. I think he, I think he's got a guy who knows how to build a culture, and I think culture is really important when you talk about football teams. Uh, and I think Rodgers is, is, is ready to buy in. I don't think he, he's going to come to New York and be a prima donna. I think he wants to win another Super Bowl. I mean, the difference between – if you think legacy, the difference between guys – who get mentioned as one-time Super Bowl winners versus multiple Super Bowl winners is a, you know, that's an exclusive club. I don't know off the top of my head, the number of quarterbacks who have won multiple Super Bowls, but uh, it's not a lot. And I'm sure he'd like to join that. Yeah. He's got an opportunity here. I think that's why he's here. And if we can get him for that second year, I think, like you said, it all comes down to the success this year, keeping him upright, keeping him healthy, keeping him happy. Joe Douglas has made a it's kind of been his mantra to build the best culture in sports. We got a lot of good guys here, young guys, people that love football, love to go to work. And if he can find success this year, make it to the playoffs, have a little bit of fun. We can keep this thing rolling. We'll see. We'll make a little noise in the AFC and, and have some fun that Jets fans have been waiting for for a long time. Yeah, that's exciting. Dan, man, I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on and and, and the time that you took. Uh, for all the listeners out there, Dan's show is on FFSN's This Is The Jet Life. So tune into that. Um, and Thursday night, man, it all kicks off. Well, that last question real quick. What are, you, what are you most excited for Thursday night? What are you looking for uh, on, in round one? Anything that jumps out at you? For me, I just want to come away with a tackle. The Jets are in a weird spot with tackles. So I want to make sure that we get one of those. And then just seeing if Joe Douglas is able to move around the draft board, add some extra guys in the mid-rounds, which we don't have a ton of picks there now with no third-round pick and just one second-round pick. I'm excited about it. I mean, do you have your eyes on some guys for – for your team or for the Jets that's exciting you? Well, the, that that middle of the first round, the, anywhere in the teens is going to be tricky because I think you got some pretty good high-end talent. And then I think you got some guys who maybe at the back end of the round, in, within those draft spots, you, you, you're comfortable picking. I think the picks somewhere in when, right around where the Jets pick at 15 into the early to low 20s is an area where if your guy's not there or, or like, for example, the Steelers, uh, they've got probably two tackles and three corners who they really are looking hard at. If none of them are there, I think that that's an area where you maybe you think about trading back. Um, so I'll be very, I think the Steelers, if we're talking about the Steelers real quick, are going to be aggressive. I think the new, the new owner or the new GM Omar Khan um, and Andy White of the Eagles who, who's come on board in Pittsburgh. Those guys I think are doing things very, very differently from the way Kevin Colbert did them for a long time. So I expect the Steelers to be aggressive one way, or another but man i'm a draft geek i love it i'll watch every minute of it i can't wait i can't wait it's gonna be good stuff and we'll see what happens yes we will all right dan i appreciate it man thank you to all the listeners out there this is another edition of the call sheet we will be back next week to talk about the draft that's going to be a fantastic conversation so good luck to everybody i hope you guys get a it's like christmas man i hope you i hope santa's good to you guys throughout the draft and we'll talk to everybody next week take care 
Oh, how it rips me, but love makes me live for tomorrow.